Hey friends, and welcome back to the rest of the sermon. I'm happy that you joined us today, and I hope that you will stick around for the entire podcast. We're going to be tackling today, uh, digging a little deeper into a message that I share with my, my congregation this past Sunday. We're going to be looking at uh, a sermon that was based on the scripture from Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, as always, if you'd like to hear or see uh, the sermon that's being referenced or being uh, dug into a little deeper, the link for that will be available in the show notes. Today, we're going to tackle a question that was sent to me uh, this past week. Uh, and as always, if you have questions, if you have something you'd like me to think about or talk about or dig in a little deeper to, you're invited to send those to the rest of the sermon at gmail.com. Again, that's the rest of the sermon at gmail.com. This passage in particular deals with the disobedience of God's people. How readily we are to look at um, the failures of others and ignore the failures of ourselves. So this is the question that was sent in to me. It says, okay, this is saying God is tired of the chosen people not doing what's expected and deciding to send Jesus to save them. So the question is, were the Gentiles always a part of God's plan? The question, were the Gentiles always a part of God's plan? I think that's a great question. And I think I have a a simple answer for you and then a much more nuanced answer for you as well. The simple answer that I would give you is unequivocally, undoubtedly, yes, the Gentiles were always a part of the plan. How do we know this? We know this just by looking at Malachi. In the book of Malachi, so far, what we've seen are the people being upset with God because God won't do something about all of those Gentiles who are just out running amok, breaking all the rules, right? God's God's response to them is basically, you're not following the rules either, and you know better. Not only that, but how are they even supposed to know what the rules are if you're not living by example, In other words, God says to these chosen people, other people should see me through you, through your actions. And friends, I would say that that still rings true today. Oftentimes we point to others and say, look at the sin that they are committing. Look at this atrocity. God, how can you let this happen? Meanwhile, ignoring the sins and atrocities in our own lives. And naturally, we, we look at our own lives and say, but, but our sins aren't as bad as what is happening over there. And, and I want to say that's kind of funny how that always seems to be the case. The sins that we se- tend to have the most problems with are the sins that we don't struggle with ourselves. So just something to think about. The more nuanced answer to that question, maybe the bigger question at the heart of this question that was sent in is, If Gentiles were a part of the plan since the beginning, if they've always been a part of the plan, then why was there ever a separation in the first place? Why was there ever a separation? Why did there become a a need, a time where there was God's chosen people and then everybody else? In a day and age and in a time where I'm so frustrated with uh, the us versus them mentality, Why do we have God seemingly set this mentality up right before us? And to find the answer to that question, I would push you, I would urge you to go back and to look, to do a little digging yourself. 
What was it that happened? What led to this first covenant with God's people? What was this separation? Why did it need to happen in the first place? Historically, context, why? what was going on contextually to lead to God making this decision that says, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to choose you and all generations will come from you. And then taking that a little bit further, what does that mean for us today? Who, who are the Gentiles today? Who are those that are outside of the covenant of God? Did that just disappear with Jesus? Or are there still Jews and Gentiles? I mean, we have Paul saying there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, right? But, but what does that mean for us today? How do we still draw those lines of division? I'm looking forward to, and I hope I hear your answers to those questions. I'd love to have a little bit of a dialogue here. So when you do some digging and you uh, find what you believe to be the answer, the answer for you, I'd love for you to send me that answer at the rest of the sermon at gmail.com. Again, I'd love to have some feedback and some dialogue. I want to shift gears, though, for a moment, just for a minute, if you'll indulge me. And there's some things that, as a pastor, I feel like uh, I, I was going to say I need to say, but I don't think it's that I feel like I need to say. I think it's that I feel like I have to say. This is a point where I want to say these views are representative of my views, okay? Not necessarily my church, not, but this is, this is Evan talking. And so I hope you'll stick with me through this. We are dealing with yet another senseless murder of an African-American man in Minneapolis this time. And it calls into question uh, a few things that, uh, frankly, I'm I'm, I'm tired of, I'm disgusted by. Let me unpack what I mean by that just a little bit. I'm not tired of or disgusted by the fact that, once again, we have uh, police officers abusing their power and ultimately causing the death of another human being. That, That does... Uh, make me disgusted. I am tired of, de- of dealing with that, but that's something that we've dealt with before and that we've seen before. I'm not tired of or disgusted by the fact that over the next few days, undoubtedly, people will dig into the past uh, and villainize the victim in this crime. That uh, does disgust me, and I am tired of it, but again, we've been there before. Undoubtedly, there's another set of people that will dig into the past of these police officers and show us all the many reasons we should have seen this coming. Yes, that disgusts me, and I'm tired of that, but that's not, again, what really, really bothers me with this uh, situation that we are uh, seeing unfold in front of us. What's bothering me is that this didn't, didn't happen in a vacuum. This didn't happen at a... Uh, a a police stop where it was just the police and just this individual. This unfolded on a public street with onlookers who were begging, begging for intervention. And then the flat-out ignoring of their pleas. Now, as I've watched the video, the the knee is not what necessarily bothers me. Again, that bothers me, but I've seen it before. What bothers me is the ignoring of one of God's creations. The seeming lack 
of compassion. It's not even seeming. The lack of compassion, the lack of empathy. The problem I have is that I know what's going to happen now, because again, I've seen this before, is once again, there's going to be a divide, a demand, that it's either us versus them. Does that sound familiar? You're either with us or you're against us. You're either against police officers or you're on their side. And their side somehow is is magically against all people of color. And I would want to say, hold on. You see, I've known, I've met, I've worked with, I've worshipped with a lot of police officers who take their job and their calling very seriously. And in fact, the, the community in which they serve is the reason they do what they do, who live a life with pure integrity and character more so than I could even dream to live myself. And so I want to make sure we don't paint police officers as the villains here. Now, were there some villains in this story? Absolutely. Were these villains police officers in this case? It sure seems so. And I'm going to be hard-pressed to be convinced that there was any justification for what played out on the videos of people that were there, that were witnesses. I'm going to be pretty hard-pressed to believe that there's going to be anything that will convince me that there was any reason that at some point during that five minutes, ten minutes, seven minutes, however long it was, not to let up. Just a little. Just a little. However, the flip side of that coin is we also can't paint with a broad stroke and say, see, cops are bad. Because that simply, quite frankly, just isn't true. So while I'm mad about the injustice that was played out, while I do agree that someone has to be held accountable, I certainly don't think that that means that everybody who wears a badge is who has to be held accountable. I'm very conflicted today, and you can probably hear that in my voice. You can probably hear that in my words. Because again, I know several police officers. I've worked with, I've worshipped with several police officers who in that situation, I have to believe, would not have acted the same way. In fact, it's the very community that they are sworn to protect that would inform decisions that they make. In the same breath, though, it seems like time and time and time and time and time again, we see these scenarios played out right in front of us. And the two sides form, and they form real quick. And both are real quick to form their opinion, to form their defense, to form their argument against the other side. And it brings me back again to this idea of Jews and Gentiles, us and them, and what it is that we as Christians are called to do. In moments like these, I think it's really important that we remember the calling that God has placed on our lives. And that calling can really be broken down into something pretty simple. You see, I believe the calling that's been placed on your life, just like the calling that's been placed on my life, is to love. It's to love in the same way that Christ loved others. So what does that mean? What does that look like? When we see an abuse of power, when we see senseless violence, when we see a life snuffed out, a flame that should still be lit, what does it mean? How do you love through that? 
How do you love those who you look at and you see as a villain? How do you love the one that you look at and you see as a victim? One of those is a lot easier than the other. What's so hard for me to understand is how we can look at the same scenario and see two different villains and two different victims. At some point, friends, at some point, we have to wake up to the idea that we've all been created in the image of God. Whether Jew or Gentile, we've all been created in the image of God. And when I look in the eyes of someone else, even the police officer kneeling on him, I'm, not, I, I'm looking into the eyes of someone that God loves. Now, does God love that act? I, I can't fathom in my uh, small brain that God would, would, would love that act. But God loves that individual. When are we able, as a society, to answer the call that's been placed on our lives? Undoubtedly, I've ruffled some feathers. Undoubtedly, I will have made some people mad. Undoubtedly, some people will believe I should have treated this differently or not treated it at all. And you may be right. But I do think it's time for pastors, for spiritual leaders, to stand up and to say, enough is enough. Enough is enough. The division that we see in our country, the division that we see in our world, it's all avoidable. You heard me right. It's, it's avoidable. When I can look at my fellow person and say, you are created in the image of God just as I am. When I can look at my fellow person and say, you, you are loved by God just as much as I am. When I can finally start to understand that this is not us versus them. This is how do we all get on the same page? How do the them in this scenario see God and understand God and experience God through me? You see, the burden's on me. It's not on them. If, if there is an us in them, then it's my fault. Because they're supposed to see God through me. Friends, I don't know what we do with these statements. I don't know what we do with these scenarios. I don't know what the call left for each of us to do is other than to love one another. And put simply, the only way we know how to do that is by the example that Christ gave us. And that example was pretty pure, pretty simple, pretty easy, not to do, but to see. Pretty easy to experience if you were the one being loved by Christ. Remember, it was the ones who thought they had it all figured out. It was the ones making the rules. It was the ones that benefited from the system. Those were the ones that Jesus looked at and said, you're doing it wrong. Be careful. Be careful where you place yourself in the story. Be careful the narrative that you choose to live out. And if you have any say at all, choose to love. There's a quote that my wife's uncle was quoted as saying, and that is, Let God be God, you be love. Nothing could be more true today. Let's let God be God. Instead of trying to fix everything ourselves, instead of trying to solve everything ourselves, let's let God handle what God needs to handle. 
Let's focus on the one thing that we can actually do, and that's to love. I'm glad you joined us today. I hope you've enjoyed, or at least stuck around to hear, the rest of the sermon. As always, if you have feedback, if you have questions, concerns, things you want me to hear, things you'd like me to discuss or talk about in the future, the best way to send that feedback in is to the rest of the sermon at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring for one another. Continue to do so. And God bless.